Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Well, uh, I'll officially intro, but um, I, I'm glad that you remember that you saw us at the mill because, you know, you're big time now. Uh, <laughs> y'all, if you don't know, if you don't know, now you know. We've got Steven Satterfield on the show. This is his third time, and uh, he's done quite a lot since he's been on, since uh, April 2019. Uh, there's a show on Netflix called High on the Hog, um, which we'll get into in just a minute. But he also started a magazine, a beautiful magazine. Is there a different word for magazine? Because I feel like that undercuts what you're doing a little right. bit. Right. It's it's art. Yeah. It's frame worthy. Oh, every page. We we still call it a magazine. So uh, come on, it's 2021. Um, but it's called Whetstone. It's gorgeous. Maybe we should call it a magazine. <laughs> sure. Wow. It's super a super magazine. That yes. is pretty brilliant. Please don't be <laughs> mad. I'll credit you. Yeah. <laughs> credit Ange. But um, we're so happy to have him on. And I was waiting to watch this show before we interviewed you. So it's been like in the queue for like a month, what, almost two months, month and a half. Yeah. And watched it yesterday. And I'm just going to ask the kind of obvious questions right now if people haven't seen the show but want to know how did high on the hog tv show find you or did you pitch it these are three questions Mm -hmm. did you want to be the host was this a whetstone collab um all good questions so let's take it from the first one um i did not um pitch this show the show came to me which is um, an unbelievable thing in so many ways, Um, in so many ways, not the least of which is because I have been in the position of um, being in Netflix pitches uh, and receiving the bad news on the other end. So to be on the the other end was um, so exhilarating and surreal and continues to be. so the project came together. Well, first of all, the the docuseries is based on uh, a book by the same name from Jessica B. Harris, Dr. Jessica B. Harris. I just call her Dr. J. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, y'all can call her Dr. J. Um, <laughs> but um, it was really amazing in that her her scholarship for me probably more than any other food writer um, was, was more influential to my career. Um, She really since the early 1970s has been using food as a means of exploring black identity. And um, at a time where 
you know, the world didn't have a lot of space for that. We're just now moving into a terrain where something like that sounds like, oh yeah, that's dope. We can get behind that. But like <laughs> the world was really not getting behind that for many, many decades. Um, and so, including when this book came out, um, it's been out for 10 years. The book was commissioned um, by two women in Los Angeles named uh, Fabian Tobak and Garish Jagger. Um, they also, so they're, you know, friends in real life. Um, and they read the book, uh, Fabian read the book and had such a profound emotional response to it that she um, called Dr. J, ended up buying the rights to the book uh -huh. because she felt so strongly that it needed to be articulated um, as a four point or as a four part docuseries. Um, and so really we have to credit Fabian Tobak. We can't say her name enough um, <laughs> because it was really Fabian who, who had this initial vision around the, the need for this material to be adapted. Um, Fabian and I were um, in same like friend circles. We had a mutual who um, was the former editor food editor at, um, oh my God, Esquire magazine. Mm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Heard of it. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that well, magazine. It's kind of a magazine <laughs> as well. It is. Yeah, that is a total magazine. <laughs> um, so yeah, our, our homie, um, Jeff G, he, you know, he connected Fabian and I around this idea. Um, and Fabian really saw a vision for Highland the Hog um, in part through my own ideology and worldview, which had been shaped at Whetstone around food origin, around origin as a means of reclamation and exploration. Um, so, you know, this lingo is like native to our work at Whetstone, to my work. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm a black man um, raised in the South. And so, you know, this journey of African-American people as told through food um, embodied by um, an individual, a host, um, was really not something that I fully understood until, um, you know, maybe like the third or fourth time we, we met and talked about it. I thought I was being asked to contribute as a producer, um, as a collaborator, and it wasn't until like, as I said, the third or fourth time I, I linked up with, with Fabian and I realized she was asking me to, to host the show, um, which was such a trip. Like it was, I mean, really, cause the show at this point, um, well, let me not skip step. So anyway, so then I, uh, I was, I said, I'll do it if Dr. J gives the blessing you know, it's her material. I need, I need that love. Otherwise I can't, you know, I can't really do this work. Um, and yeah, of course the, the work was blessed and the rest is history. Yeah. I, uh, so much to counter with what you just said. Um, but just to rewind a little bit, you were on our show. The first time you were on was in 2018. It was, for those of you listening, please check it out. It's 
two episodes because you, you said so much. We had to break it down into two, two episode 252 and 253. And I mean, we talk pig farms. We talk uh, South Africa World Cup. I mean, it just goes all over the place. It's awesome. But something that really stood out for me um, when you were when we interviewed you that first time was you, you said in order to make food more accessible, we need to put an emphasis less on the chef and more on the farmers and, and more on the fishermen. And, and I, I think it really stood out for me because it showed so much about your character and, and sort of your humility and your, your understanding of these pathways. You know, it's not just this one person on a pedestal. There's just all these different points um, that it hits along the way. And so I want to bring that back to you as a host on this show. I think you really bring that as a host that, you know, this isn't the Steven Satterfield show. You are sort of a, a conduit for all these incredible people that you introduce us to along the way. Like the whole time I'm like, oh, maybe we can get them on Bitch Talk. Oh, we need to, we hey, need to get their contact info. Yeah. Oh, who's this incredible woman? You know? Um, yeah. So uh, I, I, I just, can you explain just how you approached this as a host by still just imparting your, your care and your, your empathy, but also setting them up to be on, on the pedestal, you know? Yeah. Um, that's just how I like to work. You know, I think, well, to speak to the chef thing, also y'all are prolific. I mean, y'all have done so many, um, episodes. (laughs) (laughs) We're almost 600. We're almost at 600. 600. Yeah. Like that is so impressive to me. Oh, Um, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, that idea around the need to move attention away from chefs uh, is really like as much as anything else, how we got Whetstone. I, as someone who um, grew up in restaurants uh, as a young person, became a sommelier, you know, by the time I was 21 years old, um, I have really been so steeped in the world of eating and drinking for, for many, many years, my, my entire adult life. And at some point, um, I grew increasingly agitated that we were just getting this extremely narrow, myopic interpretation of so-called food culture. When quite obviously every culture in the world has their own distinct food culture as a central part of their identity, their ancestry, their familial history, their cultural history, often religious histories. And we get to read about what? Another white dude who was trained at the CIA, who went through the you know formal culinary education. And it's just like, that is so damaging in so many ways. Mm. Um, not the least of which, I guess like it's damaging in, in the big way um, in that it, it perpetuates a, a cultural erasure um, that becomes a way of using the power of the story to further marginalize already marginalized groups which is why you see, or rather don't see, um, marginalized groups ever as the kind of protagonists in their own uh, historical remembrances. You don't, you always see uh, what? White saviors. You see 
um, colonial heroes, manifest destiny, um, a complete erasure of indigenous culture, a complete delusion about the role of African hands in shaping US food culture and economy. So what that is the one kind of more harmful way in which the perpetuation of these myopic stories is very harmful for many communities. But it's also harmful in the way of like, if you really just appreciate being enlightened and learning um, about other cultures of the world, um, then you are getting a bad deal in that form of media because you're getting um, in, in total, you know, um, maybe if the life of food could be explored as like a pie with a hundred percent, what you're looking at with these high end European trained chefs is quite literally the 1% of the world and life of food. Mm -hmm. And it's disproportionately represented to the degree of like maybe 90% of what we see in food media. So that shit is boring, said another way, <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so like that is basically um, not only continues to be our ideology as, as creatives um, in food media, but it is the um, direction that we are trying to push the whole category towards, if for no other reason, then we get better material when we decenter white male chefs. And we've also seen with kind of chef culture, broadly speaking, how problematic this elevation has been. So mm -hmm. it's not even just like, again, because us elevating these stories, it hasn't been without consequence. It has also created a power imbalance where chefs who are holding power um, abuse that power by taking advantage of their colleagues, um, mm -hmm. sexually harassing and assaulting women, um, and generally just not being the type of figures that, that deserve to be elevated at the head of a community. Mm -hmm. And so, the, and I do believe that this um, kind of worshipful coverage that they got in the 90s and 2000s um, created their own delusion about what they could or could not get away with, as we see through many industries, when men in particular hold power, um, they abuse it regularly. And most often that abuse um, manifest through uh, sexual assault, harassment, or violence, other forms of violence. You didn't say it, but I'll say it. Top Chef comes to mind <laughs> in the last week. I, my fiance and I, well, you know, I'm Jeff from Storied San Francisco. He says hello. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's the story that just came out from this huge show. And it's another big disappointment. Um, disappointment but also like, oh, not surprised. Um, so I want to talk about energy and emotions in High on the Hog because there's so much joy. There's um, so much pain and there's also so much, so much strength. 
And um, I do want to talk about Africa. I'm going to try not to cry right now. But when you're in, and it's WIDA, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a moment where you have a moment. And I was also having a moment. I'm sure Ange was too. Mm-hmm. I saw you, Stephen. Mm. And I remember seeing you in NOPA. And um, this is what, mid-2000s? I don't even know. And it was like the first time I saw a black psalm. Mm-hmm. And I live in San Francisco. <laughs> and seeing and remembering seeing you on the floor, and you're so gracious and, and just the best. And I loved seeing you when, you know, we could afford to go to Nopa for a night. Um, <laughs> but it was like, oh, shit, there can be black psalms. And, and no one told us that. Mm-hmm. And then seeing you in Africa and having that moment where it's, I don't know, I was just really touched mm-hmm. and just thought about your journey through the culinary world um, mm-hmm. and wanted to know if you can talk about that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, don't apologize. I mean, um, I, I really appreciate you, you know, um, the part of the reason that, um, I wanted to come back on to uh, your show is because I, I do feel that I've been seen um, by both of you over the course of this journey. You know, um, we didn't have a lot of people um, inquiring for our work in 2018 and checking for our, our work in 2018. And I know it's not just about the work, but, you know, the, it was and remained such an important part of my own personal mission and and journey um, that it is hard to divorce the two, you know? And so um, I have, it has been um, a very, very, very difficult path. Um, Like I I have to say that, Um, but at the same time, this is the tradition of people of color in the US and black people in particular is that every generation, every corner of society requires certain individuals within these communities to carry the water, to hold the line and those individuals are often the ones among us who have privilege, who have, for whatever reason, managed to be um, in a situation where even though we are the only ones in the room, we're thriving, we're shining, right? Because that's what it takes. Oftentimes, that's what it takes. You you must be exceptional. And so in um, in this kind of uh framework i very much feel connected to a black tradition of excellence um and of having the opportunity to hold the line to carry the water so that for the next generation Yes, someone else is going to have to, to, to do that work because we have so much work to do. We're not going to close that, that gap in a generation. But the load is lighter. You know what I mean? It's like you, you're not, the line isn't lonely, right? You, you have community, you have support. We have a point of reference because 
before High on the Hog, when I was growing up watching food media, we didn't have a point of reference for a, a food show as told through the Black experience, imagination, and context, especially rooted in historical events, shit that really happened. Right. right? We, we didn't see that. And so now that this show exists, there's a generation of filmmakers, directors, food writers, chefs, visionaries who are going to be influenced by this work as I was by the Food Network, by Jock Pippen, Julia Child, Martha Stewart, Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Like, yes, all all white people, all people who influenced me, but that's because that's what we were getting on TV. I'm tuning into the Food Network. Right. You know, I'm watching the Travel Channel. Like, I didn't see myself on there. And so, I, of course, I still love the experience of, of uh, centering food in my life as a means of pleasure and joy and exploration. Um, but we never got to see that in the Black context. And there's just so much power um, for Black youth that this exists. Um, I recognize that part of why I do the work that I do is to create those images and likenesses on screen um, or as a sommelier or as an independent publisher so that generations have context moving forward. Not even generations, like, like my homie Clancy Miller published a magazine for the culture you know, um, a brilliant Black woman in Brooklyn who is already accomplished as a pastry chef, um, as an author. And she was like being commissioned for stuff. I'm like, Clancy, like you, <laughs> you not just have the sauce, like you are the sauce. <laughs> like you're an editor, you know, you're a visionary. You shouldn't be waiting on people to get back to you to to publish your vision of black women at the center of food and drink mm. and that magazine is so beautiful and i'm so proud of clancy and i know because we we can we're homies like this <laughs> like i know that whetstone existing made clancy's journey possible mm. or i shouldn't even say possible i should say it made it less cumbersome and less lonely Right. And so that's the point to me is doesn't have to be from a generational context. It's like we have water to carry. Like, can we lighten the load? Um, and so I appreciate you, you know, connecting those dots on my own journey. Um, and I'm always going to be the one to, to really take food like seriously, you know, seriously in a way of, um, no, this really is a catalyst for transformation, for activation, for transferring power and resources and building community. Um, and, and when people um, can connect to uh, parts of my work where that vision becomes evident for them, that's a powerful moment, I think, for all of us, for me in being validated um, and being encouraged but also presumably for, for you or that other person, because once you start to relate to food in this way, 
you, you never go back. You can't unsee it. You know, once you move into this origin, like who grow this? Where did this come from? What's the story? You know, you're now in a, a migration story across time and place and space with people and plants and animals and technology. You can't go back. And that not being able to go back is I believe the catalyst for dialogue around change, real change. Yes. That's why we say, you know, this does have the potential to um, expand empathy because understanding is a precursor. It's a prerequisite for empathy and food does allow us to at least have an opportunity to get to that space made possible by common understanding, mutual understanding of our own stories made more possible to understand by using food as the framework. Right. Yeah. And um, I, the whole time I, I, I was watching it, I just couldn't help but just feel so grateful for this show and so happy that as as African-Americans, as descendants of slaves, you know, people who have always had this feeling of not not belonging or not feeling accepted like this. This show is the receipts. You know, this, this is the proof that that not only do you belong here, you helped build this country. And, you know, maybe you've always known that your culture is beautiful, but now you're giving all of us this opportunity to see how beautiful and how impactful it is. So, um, yeah, just really grateful, especially, you know, as a, as a child of immigrants that is, you know, often felt maybe not not belonging. I just I'm so happy for your specifically, you know, this community of people that now feel seen and appreciated. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of reactions have you gotten? Um, maybe some surprising ones. And also, how has this project sort of changed you or maybe helped you feel more grounded in who you are? Yeah, um, I mean, I will, nothing will ever be the same for me after this show. I mean, just gotta be real about that. That's just kind of like part of the deal. Um, and some of it, I mean, I feel right now kind of mixed about that, you know, I feel kind of neutral about that. Um, how people have responded, I'm floored. Like I really, I can't believe it, you know? Um, we had high hopes for the show. I think when we were filming, we knew we were getting some amazing tape and we were like, yo, we've never seen anything like this. And they would be like, Steven, you're the food person. Like you, and I'm like, nah, like I truly <laughs> have never seen anything like this. So, you know, part of it was like, I wonder if people are going to get it you know, because our, our director, our showrunner, like we're not like food people. These are our black creatives who gather, convened around this material because it really matters to us on a cultural level. So in my mind, we were approaching this as like, this is a love letter to, for, by, from black people. Um, and we hope that everyone sees that and can, get in on this love fest, um, even as we're trying to speak directly to our community. So I honestly thought the work would be um, kind of esoteric. You know, I was kind of hoping that it would land in like, uh, um, 
like indie cult classic space. Like if you know, you know, the real heads will be talking about like, I don't know. I just, I just couldn't see it living in um, kind of like the imagination of popular culture. Um, And yet that's kind of where it's landed. Um, It does feel like part of a, a cultural moment. Um, It feels like, wow, the timing of this couldn't have been better. Um, Even as I've been saying, it it is overdue. It is simultaneously right on time. And um, so to answer your question, I'm just floored. And I remain floored um, because you can't, you just can't anticipate it. And, And as far as the responses, it's people all over the world. It's amazing um, because basically you, again, the story is from a black perspective, but you see the universal quality of these migration stories that people are able to connect to and understand. Um, and so, yeah, that's really like what's been surprising for me. It's just the how much the, the universal quality of it all has really come through for people. I do want to say um, in, the first time we met, you said the next time we met, we were going to do a wine tasting. So I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to, you know, flip, you know, the, the mood a little bit. Yeah. We, we were supposed to be tasting wine at this next meeting. It did. I'm not blaming you, Stephen, but. We did. We were promised something. (laughs) And you know what? I truly hate to disappoint. That is a, that is in fact, I hate to disappoint. Um, So uh, my apologies. I will, I will, um, we, we have to get it together. The next time I'm in the Bay area, we will get it together. Um, That's all I can say. That's the best we can do. (laughs) I accept that. (laughs) Uh, Before we wrap, though, I want you to be able to talk about, you know, next steps with Whetstone Magazine and also the Whetstone Radio Collective. So talk about that. Tell the people. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully um, Whetstone Radio Collective takes off um, by the next time we talk. So, yeah, we Whetstone Magazine, we're still rocking and rolling. Whetstone Magazine, actually, we're going through a name change. I just yeah. realized. <laughs> Whetstone Magazine. <laughs> um, You're welcome. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, next month we have our eighth volume coming out. If you can believe it, Whetstone wow. Volume Eight. Um, and uh, we have a podcast company that we're starting, um, Whetstone Radio Collective. It comes out in the fall with twelve new shows from all over the world. Um, with from all from the the feminine perspective, um, from anthropologists in Delhi um, to food writers in Taiwan, homie in Mexico has a podcast about mezcal. Oh, um, right up, Ooh, Andrew. Yes, please. That's, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. right. So, um, so it's really just kind of like all the work that we were doing in podcasting um, with our, our point of origin podcast. Yeah taking some of our favorite ideas and, and talent um, and basically just expanding the platform. You know, we're just trying to grow um, so that we can keep doing more. We're just trying to keep making more work. Well, we're here for it. So 
I mean, I don't know how to wrap this because we love you so much, but <laughs> high on the hog is like, yeah. It's I already like, told like five people to be like, if you didn't watch this yet, you better watch it. Like, yeah, it's like nothing you've ever seen. You can expect it to be one thing, but it's not what you expect. You know, yeah. it will surprise you at yeah. every turn. So, yeah. Where's the Oyster Tavern? Maybe we should open that, Ange. I want to um, go to Mother Shuckers right so now. We need to go to New York. I love that guy. I love every I don't even want to put anyone on blast because right. that's unfair to everyone else. Like all the people you highlight. I'm like, now this. OK. I need to write down all these names. I need to find track well, them. Glenn Roberts, <laughs> Anson Mills. That was like my whoa. Moment. We're going to eat there. Yeah. Well, no, we're not going to eat there. Oh, we're I mean, at the him. no. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we're going to the hem. Oh, um, Bill no, no, no. mill. No. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. Hatchet Hall. Hatchet Hall. <laughs> oh, I'm in Hall. I'm in Southern California right now. So I know we need to try to oh, get okay. in on that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the the show is beautiful. Um, I don't there's too many words or zero words to really explain how, how wonderful the show is. And um so happy for you, so proud of you. And oh, thank um you. thank you for coming on Bitch Talk. And I really do hope we, we get to see you again you live know, later this year. In person. Know. Maybe 2022 when things are cool. Maybe maybe later. We're um we're working on maybe some stuff um in LA. So um there might be an opportunity in California. Um, but thank you again for having me on um as a fellow media maker. And I know I told y'all this last time, but it's always gonna be true. I remain so um impressed by your commitment to podcasting and interviewing and sharing culture um you know it's dope and i appreciate y'all too so thank you for having me on of course you're of the course. best thank you oh, my mom says hello you've never met her but she <laughs> loves what you do she is a subscriber to whetstone and she shares everything on facebook she wanted me to just let you know so. <laughs> sue. sue sue yeah you're the best Thank you for your support. <laughs> That'll Thank be two hundred dollars, Sue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not free anymore. He's big yeah, time. Yeah, nothing's free. Nothing's free. <laughs>